When you meet someone for the first time, how can you kind of figure out where, where they're from, what their background is? You see, we all have all these little tells, these little you know, body language or the way we talk that kind of helps us figure out, like, where might this person be from? You might run into someone who, you know, for, for a lot of hard work, they try to get rid of their, uh, their accent, but then they drop a y'all, and you're like, ah, I know where you're from. You're from somewhere south of here. Or maybe someone, uh, you know, from California. You can just look at Eric, you know, just say hi to him after service. Someone from California, pretty much just like him. But what, what would it look like to run into someone from where we're from, Midwest? What are the kinds of things that make us who we are, the things that, the tells that we, we don't even realize are inside of us? Well, whenever you're walking around, maybe you bump into someone in the grocery store, you knock something over, uh, what, what do you hear someone say when they're from the Midwest? Ope, I heard it. Ope, sorry. Ope, sorry. And it's just this saying that's like, man, it's, it's just kind of ingrained in our culture for whatever reason. And ope, sorry. It's just this, this, this reaction to anything that goes wrong or just, it's not even anything significant. It's just like, a, oh, sorry. Like, I just did it right there. I didn't even really mean to. It's just default reaction as this week, you know, the Lord sometimes provides sermon illustrations. And I was on Thursday before uh, I preached in Urbana. My wife, I bumped into her that morning. I was like, oh, oh sorry. And I was like, yes, using that on the sermon. <laughs> but as you may have guessed, um, in this series, uh, the games we play, we're going to be talking about the game of sorry this morning. Uh, I remember playing this growing up. It, it was something that, you know, you're, you're, you're jumping around with your little, your pawns and you're landing on people and you're like, oh, sorry, you know, but you don't really mean it. And then whenever it's someone else's turn and, and they send one of your pawns back to, to your home space, you're like, man, this is so unfair. This is so unjust. This is the worst game ever. And you just lose your temper. Uh, or maybe that's just me. But uh, we are often unwilling to give other people mercy when they do things to us, but we always want it for ourselves. We expect it for ourselves. And so this morning, we're going to talk about how we don't want to be playing a real-life game of sorry, and we're going to dive into something called forgiveness. The question isn't how we go through life trying not to get hurt. The question is, how will we handle hurt when it comes our way. And the practice that Jesus invites us into when we read through Scripture and we read through the Gospels is this kingdom practice of forgiveness. But we do want to pause, just like we've done with all of the, the topics in this series, and ask the question, what is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Well, this morning we're going to say that forgiveness is choosing to end the cycle of pain and instead recycle it as love. Instead recycle it as love. A little more in-depth, it's the, it's the practice and the process of releasing any right that you or I have to retribution or payback towards someone who's harmed us or wronged us. It's allowing then God to transform us, to come in, to transform the pain that we've experienced, absorbing it in the power of His Spirit, breaking the cycle of that pain and recycling it back into the world as sacrificial love. That is what forgiveness is that we're going to learn this morning. But ever since Adam and Eve's first sin, first fell, humanity has been in the cycle of, of being hurt and then hurting others. Forgiveness is God's way of putting an end to that cycle. And so if you have your Bibles, you want to grab out your phones, we're going to be in Matthew 18 this morning. 
Matthew 18 this morning. We're going to explore a little bit more about what this way of forgiveness that Jesus gives us is. So Matthew 18, starting in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. 77 times. And we see, we see Peter, he's, he's coming to Jesus, like, man, I've heard this forgiveness thing. I know we're, we're about it as the Jewish people. And, you know, seven times, Jesus. And, and what we needed to understand is that in that day, a lot of the rabbis would say that three times, forgiving someone three times was enough. And so Peter's, you know, doubling that plus one. And he's just saying, seven times, you know? Pretty good, right? Yeah? He's trying to impress Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, 77 times, Peter. You need to forgive others. Some, some texts, some translations say 70 times seven times. The point Jesus is trying to make that, that there should be no limit to forgiveness, that we should be people of forgiveness, being willing to forgive. There are no limits on forgiveness in the kingdom of God. That's Jesus' point here. Let's read on. Jesus goes on to tell them a parable. Verse 23, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. And we see, so we see this story, this parable of this servant who comes to the master, comes to the king, owing 10,000 bags of gold, 10,000 talents. In, in, in today's equivalent, it would be billions of dollars. In other words, it was a debt that he could not pay. He was just a servant. He had an average wage. So when he comes to the king, he's like, I'll pay it back, I promise. That's kind of like a joke. There's no way. There's no time in the world that would allow him to repay this debt. Jesus is saying that this man did not need more time, but he needed forgiveness. And the king, in his generosity, forgives the debt. We see that this parable echoes God's generosity towards us, that like this servant, we have sinned, separated ourselves from God, we've chosen life apart from him, and in his generosity, he has made a way to bring us back to him. We serve a God who's generous and forgiving and and loving. Let's read on in verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And so we see this this servant who was just given an unfathomable, forgiving amount of debt. And he goes in, and and, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. He's like Gollum, and he's he's wanting the the Smeagol, Gollum, wanting the ring back. He's like, 
wringing Frodo's, give me the ring back, I need it back now. And that's what he's doing to this servant. Give me the money that you owe me. And this was about a third of a year's wages. So not nothing, but nothing in comparison to the debt he had owed the king. Instead of receiving the forgiveness of the king, of the master, and recycling it as love, the man did not truly receive that gift and instead recycled it as bitterness and greed. Does that not embody us at times? That we love getting gifts, but we do not enjoy as much giving them. That we love receiving forgiveness, but we do not enjoy giving it away. Let's keep reading verse 31. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Because of this man's unmerciful and unforgiving act, the king, the master, throws him into jail saying this, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? You see, as we are forgiven, we are meant to forgive others. This is what Jesus means when he he teaches us to pray in, in the Lord's Prayer, the famous prayer. Forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses as we forgive our debtors or those who have sinned and trespassed against us. This is the heart of the gospel. This is the way of Jesus. It's the forgiveness is the very air that we breathe in the kingdom of God. And the choice instead that this servant makes is one of unforgiveness and judgment. In his actions, we see the fruit of the life of someone who does not allow themselves to be transformed, to be changed by the grace of forgiveness. So it's a warning to us. Whenever we choose unforgiveness, bitterness, anger, vengeance, destruction will always follow. See, unforgiveness destroys, but forgiveness heals. Duke uh, University Medical School, this is a really cool study, it's pretty unbelievable, but Duke University Medical School, they performed a study that that they found, uh, they they were looking for the results of of what is the number one killer in America, and and they found that the answer was not heart disease, the answer was not cancer. You want to guess what the answer was? They found that an underlying emotional condition was such a high correlation to death. They called it the hidden death syndrome. And because we are on this topic today, you probably did guess the culprit was unforgiveness. The underlying condition of unforgiveness is more deadly than cancer and heart disease. In fact, they even, amazingly, in this study, they even go on to say that that forgiveness heals, that The teachings of Jesus are a 2,000-year-old health tip. Isn't it awesome when science catches up with the goodness of God revealed in Scripture, the wisdom of God? 
See, our God is not just loving. He's also logical. We, it's built into the way that we're designed. Forgiveness heals. Unforgiveness destroys and unforgiveness doesn't just destroy us, it also destroys others. We, we, we know this. There's a common saying, you may have heard it, hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And we know this to be true. Uh, studies show that 90% of those who have been abused, uh, who are abusers, sorry, 90% of abusers were themselves abused during their lives. But here's the hope. Those who have, were abused 90% of them did not go on to become abusers. Something changed. Something happened. They were able to, to not become the person who abused others. There's a hope there. There was some kind of transformative process that allowed them to not reciprocate the pain that they had experienced. Ronald Ruhlheiser says this about forgiveness. Any pain or tension that we do not transform, we will transmit. In the face of jealousy, anger, bitterness, and hatred, we must be water purifiers, holding the poisons and toxins inside of us and giving back only pure water rather than being like electrical cords that simply pass on the energy current that flows through them. In other words, whatever, whatever pains, whatever hurts that we do not learn to recycle into forgiveness and love will be passed on to the world. The cycle of pain and sin will continue. Whatever pain that we do not allow God to transform, we will transfer to others. Instead of allowing grace, the grace of the generous king and master, to transform this servant's heart. He hardened his heart, became a person of unforgiveness. And the question for us this morning is, will we choose to become people of forgiveness and healing? Or will we harden our hearts and become people of unforgiveness, bringing pain and destruction to ourselves, our bodies, and to those around us? And so as we learn to practice forgiveness, there are two misconceptions that are very common that I want to take us through regarding forgiveness. The first is this. Forgiving, forgiveness isn't always forgetting. Forgiveness isn't always forgetting. There might be some minor things like bumping into one another or, or stepping on someone's toes like, oh yeah, I, I can forget that, that's easy. But if we're being really brutally honest, the, most, the hardest things in life, the, the deepest wounds and hurts, we will never forget them. We're humans. That's how God created us. We are storied creatures with memories. This is who we are, who we're made to be. And so while forgiving does not mean forgetting, it does invite reframing. Over time, it allows us to look at these hurts, these harms, and to reframe them in light of, of restoration, of redemption, of forgiveness, the light of the gospel, the presence of God in our lives. Forgiveness also uh, doesn't mean forgetting that what has happened to us is, is actually sin. It's not just saying, oh, it's okay, that, whatever that thing, it's no big deal. Like, no, we're naming it. We're saying this is sin. This is evil. We, we call it out. We say it. We call it for what it actually is. 
And with that in mind, I want to be very clear this morning that forgiveness does not mean staying in an abusive or toxic relationship. If you have ever been or are currently in patterns of abuse at home or at work, these things are not God's will for you or your lives. This is not the flourishing that he has. He does not want you to continue to suffer that abuse. Oftentimes, the first step in that situation is to get free of that situation, free of that relationship. Our God is a God of of freeing the captives from slavery. And then when the time is appropriate, maybe you, you can start the journey of forgiveness towards that relationship or that situation. It's also important with that in mind that Forgiveness and reconciliation are two different things. They're not the same thing. Forgiveness is is what you do to release someone from from the debt that you feel like they owe you, the the harm. You're you're releasing them from your desire to get payback and trusting God with that. Reconciliation is, is the next step, a hopeful next step. But it is the next step of actually reconciling a relationship, of the other person repenting, and you both desire to move forward in relationship again. Forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two. Forgiveness is the soil from which reconciliation can grow. And we can hope for it, but it is not promised. A second misconception is this, that forgiveness isn't a feeling. Forgiveness isn't a feeling. Even though it is a matter of the heart, we want to forgive from our heart. Forgiveness is granted before it's experienced. It's practiced before it is felt. If we waited to forgive until we felt like it, we often never would. So over time, it's that 70 times 7, that, that unlimited, we're going to continue to forgive, these small steps of forgiveness that over time we, we start moving away from those negative emotions and towards this, this loving recycling into the life of forgiveness. It's a deliberate choice that we make in spite of our feelings. And it's not to say that our feelings don't matter. God created us with feelings. Feelings help us understand ourselves and the world. They are Good, but they are signs of something else. We need to properly name them in order to grieve them, in order to actually enter into forgiveness. We don't bury them. We acknowledge them and then enter into forgiveness in order to experience healing. I heard a story from a friend about an umpire who who was uh, umpired a softball league. And one day he he was driving. He was speeding a little bit, trying to get to a really important uh, occasion and, and he gets pulled over, uh, of course, as always happens. He gets pulled over in those urgent situations and, and, and the cop c- comes up and he's like, man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I, I've, had, I've had I have a good driving record. I'm a really great driver. I have this really important thing I need to go to. And the cop just says, tell it to the judge. Well, softball season rolls around a few months later and he's umping a game and, and the first batter uh, who comes up to the plate happens to be this cop who gave him the ticket. And the cop's a little nervously like, hey, how'd, how'd, that, how'd that ticket situation work out? And the umpire responded, you better swing at everything. <laughs> you better swing at everything. It's funny. It's funny because we resonate with it. 
Forgiveness is hard because there's something built in into us that we want to get payback. Even when we see someone else getting payback for something that may be just or unjust, it's, it's built into who we are as, as humans. That in the name of justice, in the name of fairness, we are like, yes, we pay back. That's what we want. This is, this is in our brokenness, in our sin. This is, this is the cycle, the pattern that we are in. But this just isn't the way that things work in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. While we do, we, we wanna, I want to name, like we do work towards peace and justice and good things and fairness in the world that we are called to leave judgment to God. We are not the judges. In Matthew 5, verses 43 through 44, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father who is in heaven. See, forgiveness is ultimately about learning to love your enemy. And there is no greater example of this than our Lord Jesus who on the cross, beaten, bruised, dying, cries out to the Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And that in that moment, we see the heart of God towards enemies, that praying for forgiveness for the very people crucifying him. This is the heart of Jesus, and therefore the heart of God towards us. And if Jesus is willing to forgive even those who are killing and torturing him, how much more is he willing to also forgive our enemies? It is at the cross that we discover a God who would rather die for his enemies than to take retribution. It's on the cross that God in Christ shows us a way to end the cycle of this pain, of this sin. He's showing us what it looks like to suffer, to take in the sins of the world and bear it in his flesh unto death and recycle it as forgiveness and love. This is the gospel. And this is very different than the way of the world. All of humanity is locked in this cycle of pain, of revenge, of payback. Our culture, our our media, our politics, our whole world is addicted to this cycle of tit for tat. If, If you hurt me, I hurt you back. You talk behind my back, I return the favor. You make a sarcastic comment about me, I blast you on social media. You steal my promotion, I destroy your career. You bench my kid, I cuss you out. You hurt my image, I burn yours down. This is the vicious cycle of the human condition. We, as individuals, but also our families, and our political parties, and our corporations, and our nations are stuck in this cycle of pain and hurt and judgment. The only answer is Jesus' way of forgiveness. It's enemy-loving self-sacrificial love for the sake of others, and it is the example of Jesus Christ. We are in this cycle of pain, of sin. And so we ask this morning, are you, 
as a disciple of Jesus, willing to be someone who participates in ending this cycle of pain? Are you willing to become a person of forgiveness? A beautiful example of this is found in the life of a woman named Corey Tenboom. This is a picture of, of her. During World War II, she was harboring uh, Dutch Jews and, and was thrown into a Nazi concentration camp with her and some of her loved ones, and she suffered greatly. She lost her sister and some other family members. But after the war, after she was, was freed, she was compelled to a ministry of forgiveness and reconciliation for those who were, were wronged by the events that had occurred. And in 1947, she's preaching in a, a German congregation in, in Munich on forgiveness. And, and she sees this man walking towards her after she's done, and, and she immediately recognizes him. It's a German guard from the camp that she was in. He came up to her told her who he was, that he'd found Jesus. And he was asking her for forgiveness for what he'd done. These are her words from her autobiography. Could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me, it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me, and as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did in that moment. She says this about forgiveness. To forgive is to set the prisoner free and to discover that the prisoner was you. You see, forgiveness ultimately frees us to be able to love. And you might be sitting here this morning thinking, Samuel, this is a very, very hard teaching. This seems impossible. And you would be right. Forgiveness is possibly the hardest thing that God asks us to do. But nothing is impossible for God. And we have the Spirit of God that has been given to us to empower us and to strengthen us into a life of forgiveness even when we feel like we do not have the strength. But where do we start? 
Where does forgiveness start? Becoming a forgiving person starts with seeing people, seeing others as God sees them. You see, the the only way that we are called to see others is through God's eyes. To see them as people who are made in his image and his likeness, as human beings created in love, who have unsurpassable worth in the eyes of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is our task, to see with the eyes of God see into the hearts of people to see who God sees they are and not who we feel like they are. And so I ask you this morning, who is it in your life, your past or your present, that you are finding it hard to forgive? Who are you finding difficult to love? Who is it that when you see them across the room, when you see their posts on social media, when you hear their voice, you have a flash of bitterness or anger. That person that when they they come to your mind, you can feel your very heart hardening and growing cold. So maybe it's a friend who betrayed you or a spouse who's been absent and cold or someone who abused or took advantage of you, a coworker that slandered you, a child that no longer respects you, a parent that has never been there for you. Anything big or small that you are holding against someone else. If you want to know if forgiveness is real, you have to practice it. And so that's what we're going to do this morning, our last few minutes. In this moment, I'm going to ask you to do something that might be a little uncomfortable, a little different. But if we never do uncomfortable things, we're never going to grow. And so as you feel led, I would invite you to close your eyes. Close your eyes. We're going to enter into a time of, of, of prayer together in the practice of forgiveness. Close your eyes. I want you to bring that person to mind and the strength of the Spirit, the person of mind who you might be holding something against this morning. Picture them sitting in front of you. Trust God to bring the right person to mind. Now, I also want you to bring Jesus into that picture. Sitting across from you is the person, your enemy, the person you're struggling with forgiving, and then across from them is Jesus. And I want you to look at Jesus' face as he looks at the person who you hate, who you cannot forgive, who you hold bitterness towards. Look at his expression that he has, his demeanor, his posture, as he looks at this other human being made in his image. Let's sit with that for just a minute. If you're still struggling with this, I want you to see Jesus turn his face towards you. That in his eyes as he looks at you, his eyes of grace, compassion, and love, and forgiveness. That in his face and in his gaze, he is 
communicating to you that you have unsurpassable worth in his eyes and that he loves you and has forgiven you for whatever you have done, wherever you've been, the mistakes you've made, you are forgiven and you are loved. Rest in that for a minute. Now just watch as Jesus turns his face back towards your enemy, towards the one that you struggle to forgive. And with the same eyes of grace and compassion, he looks at this person and he loves them. Will you agree with him and with God this morning about how he sees that person? This person who has harmed you, who has sinned against you, who's maybe harmed others, that they too are loved by God, that they too have unsurpassable worth in the eyes of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is because of what God and Christ declared on the cross, that we have all sinned, but we are all loved worth pursuing unto death. If you'd like, you can open your eyes if you still have them closed. I want to encourage you in a couple things. One, if you felt nothing, welcome to forgiveness. It's part of the journey. It's not about the feeling. Or maybe you did, you had this moment for the first time, you had some semblance of love for someone that you have struggled to love for a long time. Welcome to forgiveness. Question is, will you take the next steps every day, every moment sometimes, to continue to forgive, to continue to say, Lord, I'm gonna agree with what you say about this person, I'm gonna release myself a burden of payment and judgment. You see, we all have this journey. We all have this practice. And maybe you need to do this, what we just did, picturing Jesus, picturing whoever you have problems with in your workplace or in your home or in your life, and you need to make that a weekly or a daily thing. You see, the beauty of forgiveness is that for both us and our enemies, that it's grounded in the love that God has for us and nothing that we can possibly do. There's no better way to to celebrate this, to remember this, than at the table of communion. We we partake, we participate in communion every week here at first. And and if you are someone who has decided to follow Jesus with your life, we would invite you to participate in this moment together. And if you forgot to grab the elements, then I think they're in front of you. There's probably some in the back. But as we enter into this time of communion, I encourage you to sit, to rest. Maybe you need to hear Jesus continue to speak over you as an individual. I love you and I forgive you. And maybe you need to sit with your enemy a little bit longer and agree with God about what they say about this person. That at this table, that it is the table of forgiveness and of reconciliation, not just for us, but for our enemies and ultimately for the world. If you'd like to, during 
communion or at any point in the service, you can come up. We have the prayer benches up here as well. But my prayer for you is that God gives you his eyes to see today.